Create an Unstoppable Life, episode 198. Create an Unstoppable Life is all about mindset for the high achiever to help you build a life of fulfillment and freedom. I'm your host, Dina George, MD, a mindset and marketing coach and a family medicine physician. It's an honor to spend time with you today. Welcome back to your friends. You get to meet one of my favorite people, favorite people of all time. He's smart. He's witty. He's funny. He's fun to be around. He has an incredible presence. He influences others without even knowing it, especially me. He's my son. That's how I'd introduce you. How would you introduce you? I'm just a guy who goes to college. Hey guys, I'm Roland. How are you doing? You know, that's the first time your name has ever been said on this podcast. I've been talking about you for five and a half years. <laughs> Never meet your heroes, I guess. <laughs> so what's it like? What's it like to be my son? No pressure. <laughs> I see someone who constantly is striving for more without understanding what more really looks like. So I guess that's what it's like to be your son. Mm. Prime example, I guess, would be the conference. I know that you've done it once. You had a good time. You're doing it again, and it seems like... You guys are trying to improve it. You guys being, of course, the team. So shout out to you and Don. But what does more look like for this conference? You know, it's interesting you say that. And as being a mom of one child, I wonder if a second conference would be like having a second child, that it's a completely different experience. (laughs) I'm glad I can make you laugh. (laughs) I think what we're striving for with this conference is a lot of the same elements, but more depth, more connection, more really open discussion. Because what I know about high achievers is we like to hide. We like to hide what doesn't feel good. We like to hide if we feel emotional about something. We don't We don't show it in public. And what we want to create is an environment that there is, there's no need to hide. Like we could openly talk about these things. And when we openly talk about the hard stuff, the stuff that doesn't feel good, we become more free and we become more connected too because we see it's not just us. I was in the doctor's lounge the other day and there was a conversation going on about how patients were being cared for in a certain department. And there were quite a few examples of things that were missed. And I was thinking, oh man, it's not just me that's had that experience. Like one doc was talking about admitting somebody, a study wasn't done, and now they need an urgent transfer, and that happened to me too. And so it was reassuring, it was validating, it was sad that this is happening, and there's a plan to help with correcting it, but it was validating, like, oh, it's not just me. That's what I think is the value of a small conference that really cares about the individual and nurturing the individual. That perspective is not what I expected. (laughs) It's refreshing to hear. I guess my question to you, kind of transitioning away from the conference, is I've always kind of wondered, what is your biggest failure? Oh. I... It was... You get me in the feels. I love you so much. It was really hard. And I work very hard to not label it as a failure. When I left 
my full-time hospitalist job and we moved out of our very big, very nice house, I, I felt like such a failure that I couldn't keep going and I couldn't keep that, that life for us. And I realized that that's not what our lives are about as a family and that you and dad would never want me to do something so that we maintain material possessions. But that was so hard. Did you forget that we were like all in the army together eating bologna sandwiches while the other one was deployed? <laughs> we have some selective memory there. Isn't that funny? Gone for 15 months. That was hard. That was hard. I left when you were just starting kindergarten, came back when you were halfway through first grade. We took a trip and, and to, to reconnect. But I didn't see that as failure. I thought that was hard. I agree. It's the same facet, isn't it? Um, it's like when we took a, our trip to London. You remember our first trip to London? I When do. I was, what was it, middle school? You were 14. Yeah. And the waitress thought you were older and was going to serve you alcohol. <laughs> hey, give the lad a pint, huh? Yeah, the failure piece comes in that, that I want to provide for you and dad. And I reached the point that I couldn't. And that hurt. That felt very personal. And it, it really felt like failure. And so we've moved a couple of times. I've changed jobs a few times. Started a business. Not to make up for it by any means, but to figure out another way. And the funny part of it is that through that journey, I have come back to the belief that I really want to practice medicine. Like that is really my calling. I've only always wanted to be a doctor. I, since I was five, I wanted to be a doctor. I kind of thought I would know everything and clearly I don't, <laughs> but I really wanted to earnestly take care of people in one of the most vulnerable times of their lives. And I think the hospital setting is that. So it is fun to have not quit and gotten to the point of, yeah, this really is what I'm born to do. This is really what I'm passionate to do. This is really how I can express God's love and, and see what happens when people feel cared about in an environment that feels very alone. It's a long way of saying, I don't feel like it's actually a failure. And I agree. I don't think it was a failure either. You know, the only two remember things I remember from that house, I remember two things. What? I remember just coming back totally wiped from fact of having to drive half an hour. And I remember when we played Toontown on the computer and we would just like hang out. That's the only, only two things I remember. I, I just don't remember anything else. It just wasn't that important to me. Yeah, yeah, isn't that funny? And it felt so important in the moment. I think we lived in this really big house. And the funny thing is the three of us were generally in the same room together. And it really taught me that it isn't the structure. It's the way that we interact with each other. Yeah, we met Nita there too. We uh, did. Now that I remember. Oh, thank God. <laughs> She's been such a blessing. Yeah. So, go ahead. You know, I, I'm grateful for the, all the opportunities that we had growing up. And uh, like looking back, none of these things were important. That's all I wanted to say. We've gotten to do some fun things together. Yeah. I think it was very fun to be in Portugal when you were 16 and legal. God, where have we like traveled together? We've gone to London. We've gone to Portugal. So that was Lisboa, Lagos, Fatima, Tomar. Tomar. Amazing. <laughs> um, we went 
together to the Caymans for your conference, right? <laughs> we right did. before COVID. I FaceTimed my friends and then they told us we're not going back to school anymore. I remember that. Didn't get to go to French Polynesia one day. We went to Hawaii. We went to Hawaii together. Yeah. Well, which island was it? Was it Maui or was it Kona? We went to the Big Island. Big Island. Okay. And then... We went to Washington, D.C. Yeah, we did go to D.C. together with your mom, right? Visited all that stuff. We've gone to yeah. a lot of places together. Yeah. The theme seems to be not at home, going out and doing things. Yeah. And it, it's fun now. I love being at home and just hanging out with you. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. But I do think we are going to travel after you graduate. Yeah, well, we'll see what the Army says, right? Because they get a vote now, too. So why the Army? You know, Dad and I intentionally tried to take away any glamour and, and show you what real Army life was like so that you didn't feel any pressure, that you could see we have served enough as a family. And so it was really a surprise when you said, I want to go in the Army. Well, I wanted to travel. I can tell you that was part of it. So that's part of what my sophomore brain thought. I kind of made up my mind around 10th grade. Um, so sophomore in high school. Uh, part of it's service, like, you know, it's important to do, it's important to serve. I've always just kind of thought of myself as someone who was going to serve, so it didn't really make sense to do it any other way. I thought about law enforcement for a while, but I just realized that, like, I would rather have an impact in the Army as opposed to domestically. Um, and ultimately, like, I just knew I was going to meet great people in the Army, so that was kind of a, a bonus kicker as well, so... I figured I might as well do it. I mean, if not me, then who, right? You know. You look your happiest when you are talking about taking care of others in, in a leadership way. Taking care of the team, taking care of the boys, like the boys and rudders. I don't know if there's any women, but maybe. There's two women. Okay, so taking care of the team. You look very happy. Necessity dictates function, so I'm going to do what has to be done. And I think that when you're looking for jobs or things like that, right, because you have to understand from my perspective as a college student, like, I have an English degree. So if I'm not going to do English, then I had to have chosen a different degree, right? Like, it allows me to kind of study what I want. Context, I want to go to law school. Um, allows me to go out and kind of just enhance my own experiences so I want to go to ranger school getting to do things as a cadet allows me to practice those same principles um, being a cadet allows me to go experience things that others don't get to right so meeting um, the variety of guys I've served with who are rangers now platoon leaders coming up on company command those guys um, meeting people in the air force who I'm now going to conferences with planning uh, the things that we're doing on campus, the fun things we're doing that you know about, and everything else. I just wouldn't be able to do it without being in the Army, without being in the Corps, right? They're kind of a symbiotic relationship. So I think all of that kind of plays together to say, like, relationships matter. And so I knew that in the Army they did, and that was pretty appealing to me as well. What makes you happy? Spe specify? And maybe happy isn't the term. What brings you peace? What brings you contentment? I'm a pretty simple guy. I like to go home and hang out with my girlfriend. That's that's about it. Everything else is ancillary. I enjoy doing what I do. <clears throat> the Army, I find to be relatively enjoyable. I enjoy being with my family. I enjoy traveling, but 
I enjoy the simple stuff too, probably the most. <laughs> I, I We were having this conversation, some of myself and um, my guys, so the freshmen and sophomores in college, and we were all kind of chatting, and I was like, look, guys, like, it's miserable. Um, for context, we were just in the field, so we're sleeping out every night. College station's around 30 degrees, windy, um, for the nights we were out and the days we were out. And I was just kind of like, hey, guys, I know, like, we had a great break and all, but you have to understand, like, there's a little bit of darkness, so the light seems just a little bit brighter, right? So we're powering through, and I thought that was important kind of to reinforce with them, and it kind of made sense, right? You get back, and you have hot ramen, and all of a sudden, you're the king of the world, right? So... <laughs> It is the little things. You know, I, I was in the hospital. It's, it's a Catholic hospital. And Monsignor Malinowski for years was the hospital chaplain. And he would walk around and he would hand out pens. And they had something encouraging on them and his name. And one night, I was working late. It was so busy. I think I was overwhelmed. And he handed me a Taco Bell gift card. And he said, have dinner on me tonight. And I just think... I remember that. I mean, it's been eight years probably, but I remember that and it still touches me. A simple gift card on a, on a night that I'm busy from Monsignor means everything. And I think it is so true, like how those little things and how people interact and, and what they offer, they have so much meaning. Absolutely. Absolutely. What do you look forward to? What do I look forward to? I, I think uh, I think the reality is is I'm constantly I don't really stay in one place never really have uh, thanks shout out mom and dad um, <laughs> so I, I guess like I constantly find myself trying to go and do new things um, like take take college right college uh, as an English major it's pretty easy it's pretty easy it's comfortable. Being in, I'm in the top 10% of cadets, like the things I do are effectively on autopilot and they're not that difficult, right? It's very comfortable, very easy. But then going off and being a second lieutenant is very uncomfortable, very new. Going off and like having aspirations to go to future schooling and things like that, very uncomfortable. So I guess what I look forward to is constantly kind of improving myself by moving forward. And moving forward doesn't mean moving on, it means moving up, right? So mm -hmm. that's kind of... I guess what I look forward to in the sense of um, like life progression. What do you think is the hardest thing you've done? Because you've done some hard things. Realize that <clears throat> even if you do everything right, sometimes not, it's just not going to work out. Uh, example, we were out at the field, um, and I can plan for just about every imaginable scenario, um, but dudes are still going to get hurt. Like, and I wasn't like in a huge leadership role at the time, but guys are still going to get hurt, right? We had a guy who cold cat, heat cat. All of a sudden, like, that's a problem for us, right? Because, you know, his body temperature dipped really low, hypothermia risk, his body temperature got really high. And that's just one example of many, but it's just like, it's the realization that I'm not like a one-man team, I guess. So I guess that would be kind of the hardest reality for me to accept. The hardest fun thing, however, that I've done, totally different. Um, I think it was going to France and just kind of learning. So going on that study abroad. Because you, you go and you have expectations, but I didn't really speak that great of French. 
you have expectations of who you're going to meet, what you're going to do, what you're going to be expected of, right? And it's kind of like figuring it all out. Now, credit to me, I guess I blended in pretty well. I had a good name. I had, you know, enough of an accent, things like that. But I would say like that was the most, you know, fun, difficult thing I've ever done was trying to figure out and navigate how that was going to you know work for that time there. Mm. I can see similarities in both things. What What helps you to navigate it? Every time I have a difficult assignment, a difficult task, I ask myself two questions. Are you going to die between now and the end goal? I've always said no. If the answer was yes, I probably wouldn't do it, though, to be honest. And B, do you really want to complete it? Like in, in your heart of hearts, do you think that this is a necessary thing to do? And the answer is generally yes. And so then I just say, well, I'm not going to fail. So I'm going to figure out how to make it work in between. It's that. It's just that, honestly. I don't fail often. Sometimes I fail hard, but I don't fail often. And so it's just kind of like, you know, you do what you do. And at the end of the day, like, you can't really, I mean, if you fail, you can't really control that generally. So it's just kind of, you know, say la vie, we move on with our lives and we go forward. That's profound. I was not thinking like that in 19. I, I was thinking like, how do I just get through to the next thing and didn't let quitting be an option almost ever quitting was never an option it was keep going no matter how difficult it is no matter how it didn't look good keep going i would have guessed aerosol school because boy is that big and different look they say it's the 10 hardest days in the army but the reality is is you just have to be accountable to yourself all the time right You've got to have your canteen in your pocket. You've got to have everything that they require you to have. And you've got to be able to do all of their physical requirements. It's really not that hard. It's just being accountable to yourself. But like everything in life, there are tricks to success, right? Mm -hmm. I know a lot of people like watching TV. People watch TV and fold laundry. It's the same thing as aerosol. A lot of people want to be successful and not think about how to pass. So they buy extra clothes to put in their rucksack so they don't have to take them out. They bring extra papers. They bring extra canteens so that they can replace these things and they don't have to worry about it. I think as far as challenging is probably what you're referring to as the repelling portion. I got to be honest, like when you when you get there, you already have a mind as to what you're going to do. There's no surprises as to what happens at aerosol, right? You're going to pass an obstacle course where you're going to go on the confidence climb. It's going to be pretty high up and you're going to climb up and down. If you fail that, well, then you don't have to worry about repelling. I... <laughs> People did. People, I've heard of people falling off. It happens. It doesn't happen often. I appreciate how, how you simplify it. People refuse to do it. I would say self-selection often in life is probably the biggest discriminator, right? People self-select out of things. And it's like you can submit an application, you never know. Um, <clears throat> and getting to the repelling portion, like you've already done the obstacle course. So you've already established that you can clear heights. So that's clearly not the problem. Now it's just, oh, I'm going to go do it. I'm going to make my mind up. I don't like heights. When I got in that tower, climbing up the stairs, do you think I was comfortable? Do you think I like having my knees on the ground and having my feet hanging over a 60-foot drop? No, I'm going to die if I fall off that thing. Probably not. Probably just break a lot of bones. Probably hurt a lot, but I'd probably be all right. But, I mean, it's already been decided. I'm at the front of the line. So either I'm going to tell them I'm quitting right then and there. Because aerosol's a no-refuse course. You go, and you get to the top, and it's your turn, and you say no, that's it. Bye-bye. You're done. So obviously I'm going to go do it. I only had to do it a few times. I got to tell you the Blackhawk part was scary though. Getting a live helicopter viewers was, it was weird because you get in 
and you're not hooked up when you get in, right? You just get in, you get on the floor, you wait, you get probably 80, 90 feet up in the air, then you hook in, and then you jump out. We had a couple guys hit their heads into the wheel. That was a little amusing, I'm not going to lie. But uh, some guys get stuck, you know? Some guys go backwards. Some guys flip around, you know, Australian style, and all of a sudden that's pretty daunting but at the end of the day like you get in that helicopter you got to decide am i gonna am i gonna refuse or am i gonna do it right what's the worst that happens you die i mean oh well did you feel your heart racing no i mean at that point it's like i think a lot of things in life i guess your viewers are doctors i assume for doctors it's pretty simple you go through your progression for college you do your medical schooling and that kind of gives you the tools to be successful i'm not saying when i say simple of course i'm not saying it was simple to do that i'm saying the idea is simple the army is the same way right they give you the tools to be successful and they're trying to be successful it's relatively simple you have to decide what you're going to do with them same thought process i loved my army training i loved training at uses it was the most incredible supportive environment that they would they didn't give up on us they would keep working with us over and over and over uh, it was really self-selection that those who didn't stay in, like they, I think they probably felt done. I remember one time I, I rode in this Rhino, this armored vehicle from where I was, the hospital in the green zone over to the airport. And it was secured and we got there and you have to duck your head to get out. <laughs> And I didn't duck my head and smacked my head. And I was so thankful to have the helmet because my head just bounced right off and I got out of the rhino. So just thinking how how funny it was and how thankful I was to have my ACH helmet on. No kidding. (laughs) Thinking back to my first scary moment. Now, obviously, I've never done anything that's life-threatening like truly life-threatening. But I just remember the first time we were charging in. We were doing like a, a company attack, so a couple hundred guys. And uh, we were charging in. And even though it's all fake, right, we still have the blanks. So you can hear the machine guns going off. And the realization kind of hitting, like, you can hear the IDF simulators too. And it's like, holy shit. If we were, like, actually in a, you know, a combat zone, probably half of us are going to die. It's like a crazy realization. And again, it wasn't real or anything like that, you know, whatever. But, you know, it was the morbid reality that, you know, it was so fleeting. And these things, these little things to prepare yourself for what makes the difference between making it and not making it. If that's wearing your helmet, if that's paying attention when you're training, right? Passion makes purpose. I'm sure that was especially the case at uses, right? Passion is to help soldiers. And so the purpose serves that, makes it easy to do it every day. Put on your boots. Yeah. It's the same thing for us. There was definitely a purpose at the hospital, which is is nobody's going to die on our watch. I mean, that's what we wanted. That's not, that wasn't the reality, but everything that we could possibly do, we don't give up on any of ours. We got to get them home. What advice do you have for me? (laughs) You know, you ask me this question all the time. (laughs) I don't really have advice for you. No? No. I think the thing that you like about me is that I break things down into simple, digestible pieces. So I guess my advice to everyone who you say is an overachiever on this podcast is to simplify your life. What does that mean? It means take the problem, write it down, break it down into bits, and then be blasé about it. 
if you had to climb Mount Everest, step one, buy the equipment, that's easy. Step two, hire a guide, no problem. Step three, have the will to continue, all right, and then just combine them together. Boom, you will make it up Mount Everest. For overachievers, I guess, step one, realize you have all the tools to be successful. Step two, ask for help. Step three, it won't be a big deal at the end of the day. I can't really remember any problem from a year ago or longer because I just move on from these things. They don't bother me. I don't get haunted at night by some sort of weird failure or other thing because at the end of the day, no one else remembers and I certainly don't either. How do you take care of yourself? Because that's unique. How do I take care of my Like mentally, physically, what? Yeah, emotionally, yeah. All of it, well, spiritually. Physically, I work out. So I guess that makes it pretty easy for that one. I work out and I recover as applicable. Mentally, I mean, I just realized like most, again, most things aren't really that important looking back in time. So I don't get really psyched out at a lot of things either. I think the other thing about that too is is like, you and I aren't really visualizers. We don't really like visualize things in the future. So I don't really visualize the worst case scenario ever. I just have an end goal in mind and I move towards it. I know some people with like great imaginations, like my girlfriend, for example, great imaginations get so stymied because they're actually able to see the worst case scenario. Right. And so it like it inhibits their ability to, you know, perform. But mm -hmm. I don't really have that problem. I just kind of move through. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if the worst happens, I mean, because what is the worst? Mm-hmm. In my profession, the worst is death. Death, and really not your own death. The death is somebody else. That is the worst case scenario, right? Mm -hmm. But I can't let fear rule my life, so you just kind of move through. Emotionally, spiritually, I think it's the same thing. I think you got to figure out what your little niche is that's going to help you feel better at night, whatever that is. Prayer, uh, therapy, whatever. I think that's what you do. For me personally... I don't really just get bogged down by my emotions that often. So I just kind of think and, you know, I move on. Just sitting with myself in a quiet room isn't really a danger. So Okay, last question. What do you love about dad? <laughs> the dude always has an answer. I don't know how, but he always has an answer. I just, it just blows my mind. I'll pull up some random concept. And he's like, oh yeah, I've heard of that before, X, Y, Z. I'm like, what the hell? How the hell? Oh, like independent countries or independent areas that are within a couple of different countries. We're just like, yeah, just things like that. It's just like, how the hell do you know about this? Yeah, I, I don't give him enough credit, but... I mean, he really, like, there are some things that just blow my mind that he has an understanding of. And it's, like, not common stuff either. It's just, that's that's what I, I guess I appreciate, admire. It's, like, always seems to have an answer that's rooted in fact, and I appreciate that. Are you ever surprised that he's your dad? No. No. No, I don't think so. Anything you want to ask me? Not really. I love you so very much. Thank you for spending this time with me. I love you too, Mom. So thanks for joining us today. That is Roland George. 
<laughs> An incredible soul. I am so proud to be his mom. We have two more episodes, and then the podcast is going on hold. I am sending you so much love, and I'll see you next time. Ciao.